Hello and welcome to the reaction for Aberdeen 0, Celtic 1 on the 17th of December. I'm your host, Graham McKay, and I'm joined all the way from Glasgow by Stuart Duggan. How are you, Stuart? I'm good, Graham. I'm relieved. That would be my main emotion, relief. Your main emotion. And you, you're cold, as, as you've mentioned pre-show. What are you doing to combat the cold in Glasgow at the moment? I, I complain about it. I just thought that if I complain enough about it, then it will go away. And that's not the case. It will raise your blood pressure, which will make you warmer somehow. I don't know well, about science. I was, I was quite warm for large spells of that game then. <laughs> <laughs> and another chair is all the way from America is Eddie Walsh. How are you, Eddie? Good. Um, it's kind. Of, it's kind of like a like an angry relief, uh, angry at Aberdeen for being absolute shite bags. Terrible to watch. But yeah, it's also cold here too. So nice. How cold is it? In in proper money? Uh, probably not as cold as you guys, to be honest. But it's cold. Everything's bigger in America, they say. But. I think we're like a balmy three or four degrees today, whereas we've had some minus eights and minus nines through the week, which were unpleasant. Yeah, Love definitely not as cold. Lovely stuff. So, as Eddie alluded to, there we had a very defensive Aberdeen. Uh, and to try and combat that Celtic lined up with Joe Hart and goal, Greg Taylor, Ralston, CCV and Starfield, which apparently was the first time this season that that defence has come together, the commentators were saying. Callum McGregor back in his place, and uh, we were all delighted for that, towards the end of the match especially. Matt O'Reilly and Hitati next to him, and Maeda, Jota and Kyogo up front. Though I did, for some reason, stop writing when I got to Jota, apparently, so I didn't include Kyogo, which maybe is indicative of how the game went for the striker. I've, I've added his name in now. So, w- there was speculation, obviously, in the, the preview. There was speculation about how Aberdeen would line up without Liam Scales. Stu, the, the, the guy from the Aberdeen pod came on and he was thinking, he was hoping that they would remain a 3-5-2 and not go to a 4-4-2. Instead, they went to 5-3-2. What did you make of uh, the way that Aberdeen kind of set up to Thorters at the start of the match? I kind of felt like they played more of a 9-1, like a <laughs> 9-0-1 was largely how it went. Um, yeah, just I can't recall seeing Celtic play against a home team that have set up so defensively. Well, do you know what? I mean, that does happen to us when we go and play the, the lower teams in the league. But for a team that are sitting third in the league, like Aberdeen, who've had a reasonable season thus far... That was really embarrassing. I thought from on their part that they just didn't want a, a, any part of it at all from like minute one. And from quite early, that pattern of play was kind of set and it, it almost felt like a training exercise for the majority of the game, like a defence versus attack sort of thing. And to their credit, they were very good at it. They were very organised, very disciplined. But fuck me, man. Imagine you'd paid your money to go and see your team play like that. That would be disappointing, to say the least. And Eddie, was Christian pointed out at half time that there was an interview yesterday from uh, Jim Goodwin, he where he said that he's going to use the blueprint made by St. Mun uh, in the, the the victory over us at uh, Love Street, not Love Street, but I don't know what it's called anymore. And uh, he did exactly that with with the the three centre backs and very central in the, in the box and the, the three central midfielders very close together. There has to get to a stage where it becomes less enjoyable, and I know it's not—it's not about the enjoyment of our players, 
but it must be less enjoyable for Kyogo, for example, to be playing in a centre in a defence where there's like three centre backs all around him. It's it must make it like kind of hard to go to work, so to speak, when when you're up against that. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think a game like this obviously has so many different intangibles. It's not just kind of cut and dry as far as you know how we played uh, was just you know due down to the players. Obviously, um, I feel like the midfield struggled a lot with with things like that. Where uh, Riley, especially, I feel like uh, whenever he got the ball, it seemed like there was like three or four players immediately around him. Um, fullback, same thing, kind of going back a lot, uh, sideways, just kind of recycling the ball back and forth. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately it's up to us to break that down. And, uh, you know, thankfully we did, but I think it was kind of for a while looking like we might not have, um, you know, I just feel like there was too much, it was too slow and kind of too, like not incisive enough, not enough kind of, uh, balls into the feet, and I—I don't know. I feel like there was a lot of bad touches up there, anyway. Like just balls getting absolutely fired into Kyogo and players like that, and just bouncing right off their feet. Um, but yeah, was, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Kyogo can fill that in his uh, TripAdvisor when he's leaving Aberdeen about how he enjoyed his stay. He didn't. He'd prefer not to play against three centre halves <laughs> in the future uh, if they could arrange that. Yeah, for him moving forwards, space them out a bit at least. Was, yeah. enjoy, was enjoying himself post-game, though. The, yeah. The celebrations. Uh, one of my main points is that I think moving forwards, if Kyogo is going to play shite, then he shouldn't be allowed to do the does at the end. And that's <laughs> the only way that we might get a sort of Pavlovian sort of response where, I don't know, like... Agree. If he scores a goal, he gets to do his thing. And if he doesn't, then he doesn't. Uh, so something need- to think about moving forward. It's only we- fair. We need a new centre forward, and I, I think I'm basing that on the fact that I, I don't like Gigi and uh, Kyogo is way off form. Like, I mean, I think today the one chance that I'll blame him for is that massive sitter that comes later on in the game. It can't, can't really do much else with the one that Ralston fires at him. Uh, he does well to kind of distort his body to get on the end of it, but we need someone in there that's real competition. And Eddie. I mean, in a game like that, is a centre forward to blame for us not scoring? I mean, well, is there, is there, was there something else that could have been done apart from obviously that sir? I mean, that's that's really it, though. You know, uh, I guess we can blame for not scoring. Uh, you know, the one humongous chance that he did have, which he does, you know, he tends to do a lot, to be honest. Um, but I think I was saying it before, I, I feel like we don't, I feel like we don't play to Kyoko's strengths when he's in. Uh, we're playing the ball, you know, to him with his back to goal into his feet. He's just not that type of player. Uh, and or, you know, launching crosses back, you know, over his head uh, from left and right. So I think sometimes I just feel like he just goes when he just goes completely anonymous in games. And I feel like that was kind of it for large chunks of it today. Um so I don't know, man. I, I, you know, I can't say that I ever thought of myself screaming for Gigi to come on, uh, you know, 60, 70 minutes in. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. Uh, I think the bottom line is he needs to take his chances when he gets them. And he does get them. So I think, you know, it, it's really up to him to, uh, to turn it around. But I do think 
in games like this in particular, I don't think we really played to his strengths. And I think it was mainly speed, um, you know, speed on the ball, um, speed of thought, vision, stuff like that. But yeah, it is. I mean, something's got to give, I guess, at some point. I think um, the game's, to, to be fair to Kyogo, the game today is not particularly set up for his strengths, as you say. Like, that's a player that thrives on finding space and making space, and Aberdeen's entire game plan was to deprive him of any of that, and well, to deprive, deprive anyone of any of that for the majority of the game. I mean, the game's been played pretty much for them defending on their six-yard box the whole way, then it doesn't really allow Kyogo to play to his strengths. When I say that, you know, Kyogo shouldn't be allowed to do his speed dance, I refer quite specifically to that chance because that's criminal in a game like that when you have such a guilty chance and it's just really fundamental stuff and he is quite guilty of it in general in his play that's potentially why you know he's been overlooked for the World Cup squad um I do agree that he's been a little bit out of form but it's just something that he has in his game as well and you need someone that will be more clinical uh and perhaps that's a big part that he has missed into his game. I think that we could probably improve upon that and bring in a striker that is more clinical. Uh, although, obviously, Kyogo has lots of facets to his game that are, are excellent and that are really beneficial to have. But on days like today, when chances are at a premium, you need someone who's bankable and is able to take that chance. And I just thought it was it was very, very poor. Yeah, I mean, he's he's here to score, ultimately. So... You know, if we're not getting goals, obviously it's going to be frustrating. Uh, but yeah, I think the midfield needs to do a better job of kind of, you know, linking up play together and kind of quick one twos to get him free, um, as opposed to just throwing it into his feet. But mm. especially when you're playing against a system that's going to be so rigid and staying that that block of three at the back, I mean, they're not going to follow him out. So his kind of uh, intelligence and runs is not going to be as effective to a team that would maybe be opening up a little bit more. And another one who I just feel, I'm starting to feel as if it's uh, we're just not the right club for him to flourish well. And it's not because I dislike him, I actually really like him as a player, but it's Maeda. And you see Maeda at the World Cup playing for a team that's counter-attacking, playing for a team where he's got a very specific job, which plays to his strengths. But still, going away to Pataudry, when they're sitting so close to their goal, Maeda's strengths are just not going to ever be played up to in a game like this, are they? Um, perhaps. I thought he was all right, actually, to be honest. I thought they were all right in the first half. Um, I thought Celtic in general were, were quite good in the first half, just in terms of the something that I felt kind of dropped out of the game and only really kind of came back in with the last kind of 10, 15 minutes was a sort of intensity. I thought Celtic started with a, an intensity and then it just slowly ebbed out of the game uh, because they couldn't quite solve the puzzle. And I think that Obviously, yeah, Maeda does thrive in being able to get him behind and use his pace and, and exploit that, but that wasn't really on offer today. And I thought that, that generally he was okay. I think that he's been very good as well in the build-up to the break for the World Cup, so I don't really have any issues with him. I think he can contribute a lot. I think we've seen that, and I think that today it was just it's just bizarre to see a team like that. But normally, these are quite open games, and normally... I mean, on paper as well, it should be like one of your most difficult games because you've got a team that can go and maybe take goals off you or whatever, and they just they just didn't want to play at all. The only times that they looked like even half a threat was 
Um, Duke, was it Duke, the name of that boy? He was on the break a couple of times. But other than that, and I thought it was so funny that after we got the goal, that suddenly they've got about six minutes to try and start kind of playing attacking football. And you're like, get to fuck. That's absolutely not <laughs> happening. That's what you get. You can guarantee that in come Tuesday, they'll, they'll have a change of mind and try and open up against Rangers and get well, pumped. Only, one of the only things that gave me a crumb of comfort as we were struggling to break them down was that if they do play like that against them, that's something that they notoriously have struggled with this season so there might be more points dropped for them but as you say Sod's Law will dictate that um, that won't happen do a, do a Livy under David Martindale and just change things up to see what happens yes um, so Eddie we had Boston Lowell on the, on the bench and I know that Stephen Welsh is obviously injured but with Jens there as well were you, were you quite surprised to see Lowell featured in the matchday squad I mean, it's unusual to have two centre-backs on the bench. I think when Welsh has been injured before the World Cup, it was just Jens going on there himself or Starfield. What did you What did you make it? Do you think that's a sign that maybe he's getting a bit closer to the first team? No, <laughs> I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I don't know what happened to Jens. Uh, but yeah, I, I honestly don't think all will see the first team. Uh, you know, any any type of significant minutes uh, to me anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's always interesting to see what kind of, you know, in the background phase pops up uh, at any time on, on our bench. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the deal is with Jens, but I, I don't necessarily think Lol is really that close at all. Um, okay. I mean, I do, feel, I, I do feel bad for him just because, I mean, you know, this is a whole other podcast and it's been spoken about a million times, but the, the kid either he needs a loan or, you know, whatever. It's just, I don't know. I, I kind of think of the B team as just like this thing that exists that I have no connection to or, and Celtic don't really do a good job of, uh, you know, connecting us to that B team uh, besides, you know, I think uh, Lewis does does more for the B team than Celtic. I, I was going to say, he's just stopped in his track somewhere and there's a single tear rolling down his face. You never <laughs> say that. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, he's he's literally my only link to yeah. the B team. Um, it's kind of embarrassing. But yeah, anytime I've seen Lowell play, it's not been really that exciting, I guess. I wondered if, obviously, he's been training with the first team and he was away. He was one of the players that went away to Australia and Portugal and stuff. I wonder if it's like some kind of makeshift right back cover situation at the moment where if something happened to Ralston, who would who would you put in? Because Jens, Starfelt and Carter Vickers aren't really set up for it. Taylor's not. Would you I don't know. I mean, there's no reason to have to carry two centre halves. So it's a bench. frightening it's a frightening prospect. It is. That is going to be quite worrisome though for the next few games, Ralston's fitness, like he has to He's never really one to carry injuries, but if, if he did, then we don't really have anyone that can cover until Johnston's available in January or Juranovic is back, which I don't think... I think he's got a week off, so that's going to take you well, pretty much up to more or less the Rangers game, I would have thought. So, he sh- uh, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming he'll be back that by then. Yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully, anyway. <laughs> also, he's injured as well. Apparently, he's not playing today. Take a knock. Oh, he's out for two so weeks, just, I think. Yeah. So I that would be very close to the, the Rangers game, if so. So, I mean, it's a pretty even start to the game. Uh, we, we get a corner, but the, the, the match is pretty much taking place between the two 18-yard box. And we start to, and this is something that happens throughout the game, is get long-range shots off of Rio Hotate and Matt O'Reilly. But 
we're consistently hitting the first man with the ball and it's getting pretty frustrating. It becomes a sign of things to come. Uh, Jota does get a lovely strike. He comes in off, off the left and hits it, but it's a bit too close to the goalkeeper. But my, my main kind of take from Jota today was uh, his hair is maybe going, like it's tipping over a little bit. It's c- crossing the chasm. It's it, it's kind of like your mum's friend at a 90s like Tupperware party. You know what I mean? <laughs> with the, with the moustache as well. Uh, so you, you're, you're a hit man. Um, and That's you're... Funny. You've kind, of, that you've, you've kind of sequestered the hair for the for the for the Dugan family. To be honest, what, no, what are you I've, making? I've not got long. I've not got long left with it, so I'll do it while I can. But um, yeah, I mean, Jota's just a fantastically good-looking man, and I like the mustache. I'm a fan of it. The hair. I think that Jota will shock us all one day and like shave his head like Larson style. I think that might happen. Maybe not in our time, but keep an eye out for it. That's what I think. He boxed himself in fashion-wise. You can only get so big and, and bushly and the the big things to go the other way, obviously. So watch this space. What about Eddie? What about Dreads? Oh, man. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess you could do something with that. But, um, yeah, it's it's really something to watch it all evolve. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think the funniest thing today was uh, – uh, I guess somebody said he he looked like Tom Tom Selleck and uh, Jerry McCulloch said really like he was really proud of himself. He called him Maverick PI. <laughs> it's like yeah, all right, Jerry. Thanks. I wonder if anyone else caught this. There was a, and I know I, I can time code it roughly. It was around about the fourteen fourteen and a half minute mark, maybe just after that shot. But Jota is like looking around afterwards and he catches one of the cameras. And I don't know if he sees something near the camera, but he basically just like fires this look down the barrel of the gun at the camera and then just like goes about his business. And I hope that someone else out there has noticed it or has clipped it off. But I might actually go back and, and have a look for it because it looks very, very funny. So is it, is it, does it smile or anything or is it just a... He just sort of shoots a little look. Um, it's not like a wink or a smile, but if he did wink or smile, that would not have been out of place with him catching the camera, looking straight down it, and then being like, "Sorry, I've got a game to play." It's the uh, it's the new Mick McCarthy gif. Get it? it honestly, get it's it exactly of that of that edge of that elk. Yes, <laughs> lovely, lovely. So, I mean, I think Aberdeen's main or only game plan was the quick counter attacks, <laughs> and uh, I've actually written down here that Duck made Ralston look like a turkey. I was that pleased with that that I wrote it down. So it's not his name though. It's not his name though, Graham. So that doesn't, see, doesn't see, work. No, but see, there's no umlaut. There's no umlaut above the U. So I don't I don't like that. I, I, I don't care. Like that they've been calling him Duke. All the fans shout Duke. That's his name. I, no, I'm 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 I want to rename him. I'm gonna rebadge him Duck because it's it fits my joke. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and he did he did look as if he had Ralston and Toast a couple of times. What did you make? So obviously Eddie, there's, there's quite a for outside of uh, Celtic and Rangers, these two guys have had m- most of the praise uh, this season. What did you make of the two forwards for Aberdeen? I mean, on, honestly, I thought, uh, like you said, in the very early beginnings of the game, uh, Duck Duke, Duke offered uh, <laughs> offered something. So Duck. <laughs> he de- he definitely offered something up, but Myofsky, I mean, was he second? second in the league in scoring. I feel like he was anonymous the entire game, really. Um, but yeah, I, I I just think that I expected a lot more from both of them. 
Um, but that was quick. I mean, it was a very short lived <laughs> period of time where, where Duke looked like he had anything going on. But I think overall, Ralston had a very, very tough day, uh, in, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, which you would think that he would get a little bit more, but they, it was almost like they were just there because they had to be there. Uh, they didn't really offer anything kind of going forward, um, pressing, just, just nothing at all, really. Um, so yeah, I think Aberdeen fans are probably pretty excited by that, uh, whole performance and whole setup from them because I thought earlier when I've seen Myofsky play, I think he's, he's looked pretty good, to be honest to me. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think they really offered too much besides, uh, Duke going at Ralston uh, in the first half. I kind of think that's that's so odd as well, though, that they have these attacking threats and yet they chose to set up like that. I, and I, I, I didn't expect ima- it. Yeah, I can only imagine that Goodwin's been, you know, has had, or Aberdeen in general, have had so many poor results against Celtic that they're just trying to, like, grind it out whatever way possible. And they won't continue to play that for the rest of the season, but it's sort of like a... An experiment to see if, and to be fair to them, it nearly kind of they nearly got a good point out of it. But yeah, they have players that could hurt Celtic and and hurt other teams, and when they play like that, so it, I thought that was odd. Um, in general, Ralston, I think you're you're right, Eddie. I don't think it was his best day. I thought he was quite good going forwards in the second half. He had some really good incisive passing. You saw that for the big Kyogo chances passed through to Abada. He seemed almost like a little bit distracted or something in the first half. There was a couple of times where he just wasn't quite switched on and kind of got, he got done a couple of times. Uh, and you wonder if, you know, Ralston is the sort of player that thrives on momentum and form and, and things like that. And perhaps the break hasn't been kind to him in that respect, but I don't think it was so bad that it's it's going to be a, an enormous problem moving forward, but it might just take him a couple of games to get right back up to that level that you know he can play at. So, I'd, oh, and go ahead. Uh, no, just quickly. I, I, I don't. I just. I think uh, Maeda and Ralston kind of feed off each other when they play uh, with each other. And I think Maeda today. I don't think he was really kind of getting into the byline enough. Uh, he would just kind of stop and then play it back to Ralston, and then Ralston would recycle it across. Um, so I don't think there was just kind of any type of synergy that you would hope to see, I guess. I think to be fair to Maeda, near the end of the first half, he was definitely trying to cut in more, uh, get some more crosses in, trying to do a little bit more, uh, you know, creative things. But generally, I think those two just, they just don't work together for some reason. I don't know why. So one player that did look bright in the first half, uh, especially at this stage of the game, was Kyogo. And he... He had a lovely, a lovely moment where he rounded the goalkeeper following a, a beautiful pass from Callum McGregor. But it just became a bit of a too acute angle. I think he should have maybe tried to cut it back as opposed to go for a shot, it looked like, but it was just, it, it was cleared anyway. And then he had a nice moment where he chested it down for a real Hatate to get a, another blocked shot, shot off. But overall, it felt to me, especially in, the first and second half were very different in the ways that we were not scoring. In the first half, it felt to me as if it was like a lot of, bad decision-making in the final third, whether that be simple passes that people just weren't making, um, trying to take shots that weren't really on, especially when there's an Aberdeen player right in front of them. And then it was a case of things like, um, as you mentioned earlier, for me, Matt O'Reilly was a big culprit of this, basically letting the ball bounce off him in the box, like try to take a first touch and going a metre or two away from him. 
it just overall it's too, it just didn't feel as if in that first half especially as if we were going to get a clear cut chance to score a goal yeah I think just with the way that Aberdeen were set up if you are going to try and kind of play through that then all the touches all the passing everything has to be so sharp crystal clear um, and then it just wasn't quite there at times and not that it's like an excuse but you can understand it to some degree when they haven't played competitive football in, in the better part of five weeks um, so yeah and then when it came to like shooting from distance I think that just because it was so evident that it was a bus park job that you're hoping that either you might get a nick off something or you can get a second ball and I, I kind of felt like Jota you know that big chance that was the kind of opportunity that you're looking to to shape up and McGregor had a couple that were wild um, but they were obviously, he was always just finding his range you know uh, but yeah, it was frustrating. It was a frustrating half. It was a frustrating game all in. Um, and I don't think that we played particularly poorly. You could have perhaps been a bit more aggressive, a bit more tempo in the passing. But generally speaking, I thought that we played quite well. I think that it'd be more concerning if it was really slow and lethargic and that's why we were struggling to break them down. But I think you have to give them credit for all that it's a beamer of a game plan. It worked really well. And I think something that we maybe didn't consider was the fact that this has been their one goal for the last two or three weeks of training, like this one game. And not not just this one game, this one game and then the game on Tuesday night, which is basically, the same, I imagine they will have planned for both in the same way. Eddie, it's hard when you're, when you're coming up against a team that obviously knows exactly how you play, you've been given a blueprint as to how to beat them, and then you've got two or three weeks to to hone that and to kind of make it as perfect as possible. And you could see that they were so well drilled in the way that they were, were working. And if it wasn't for a moment of genius later on, it would have worked out for them. That uh, that seems to be kind of a thing, I guess, uh, for this team. Uh, you know, like Livingston in particular, you know, you know exactly how they're going to play, but somehow we don't maybe play the exact way to beat them, uh, kind of playing more into their hands. Um but yeah, I, I think generally um, the f- beginning of the first half, I thought um, it was quick and it was kind of, you know, the tempo was nice. I think Katate and, and McGregor in particular, I thought looked like, you know, they were ready to kind of run the shop, um, especially Katate, I, I thought in the first like 20 minutes. Um, but yeah, I, I think... It, again, that goes into what I was saying about just intangibles. And I think Stu said it right there, just, you know, just not, you know, not having played in a long time. Um, obviously, some of these players have had off more than others. Obviously, it takes some players longer to kind of get up to speed. But um, I, I thought it definitely kind of the tempo slowed. And I think in the second half, that's when it became frustrating when you thought, when it did kind of get lethargic and I feel like we didn't necessarily have the players on our bench to kind of up the tempo uh, and, you know, but to be fair, I thought Forrest was decent, but, and Abada as well. But I do think like, you know, when you're desperate for a goal and seeing some of those players kind of coming on, you're like, ah, all right. Hopefully. Yeah, about- hopefully. <laughs> Abada does come on for Maeda at half time and he is very bright, uh, as mentioned by Eddie. He, he starts to get pretty much become the main person involved in the game. But the, the first big chance of the, well, first chance of the second half came in the 51st minute where Jotter gets in on the left. But again, then this will be something that happens throughout the next 45 minutes. There's just no one there for a cutback. He cuts it back to an empty space. 
And it quite it was quite surprising to me, Esther, when I looked at the Fort Mob afterwards and we had over two for XG. And when you consider Carl McGregor's goal wouldn't have been that high on XG because it was a, a shot from distance. Do you remember that many clear-cut chances apart from the one that we're going to talk about in the middle, uh, uh, um, next, and that's a Kyogre chance? Can you remember us getting into good positions and just not finishing? Not really, no. I suppose uh, Hitati's one that the keeper kind of scrambles clear in the first half. Maeda's, he just kind of knocks it away from Maeda. Got his chance, but that's from outside the box. And then the two Kyogos. Like, did yeah. they count that scorpion kick-looking one? I don't know. Nah, mm. Probably not. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, in general, the, I mean, that was it. There was there was a kind of, it was somewhat the story of the game that there wasn't really that just bit of quality in the, the absolute final third where most of the game was played. And so that's why, you know, it became such a frustrating affair. I was quite surprised. Um, I was pleasantly surprised with Abada's performance. I kind of thought that he was going to make a change at halftime, and uh, I actually didn't. I was. I didn't want to message anyone about it because I thought I'd get slaughtered. But I thought that James Forrest would have been a a good um, option, to be honest, coming on because he's kind of proven that when things are compact like that, he's quite good at taking time to do the right thing and make the right decision. Um, and he kind of did when he came on. I thought he was good when he came on. Um, but to be fair, and and also the, my concern about Abada is that he has this knack of not really influencing games out with scoring and assisting goals. Obviously, a lovely party trick. But he was really kind of getting in about it and was uh, was really really effective when he came on. So I thought it was it was good to make the change when he did. Yeah, uh, Abada is at the heart, or. Oh, yeah, at the heart of the big chance that comes for Kyogo, it's in the 52nd minute. Great, stunning pass from uh, Ralston through to Abada. Abada cuts it back to Kyogo. And the thing I don't get about this finish, because usually when when players do feel as if they're out of form a bit and aren't scoring as many goals as, as they would expect, they maybe lash at the ball. But uh, he just tries to think, flick it past the goalkeeper and he flicks it about a yard past the post as well. Like It, just, it, it was galling and it just wasn't good enough. Yeah, I feel, I feel like a lot of his misses are like that. It almost seems like he it's he's in between two minds of kind of what to do. I felt for a second, like looking on the replay, it looked like almost like he was trying to take it down in a way first. Uh, it it did hit off his his shin kind of, but I don't, I don't know. I just feel like he's he scored goals like that before, probably even harder chances uh, than that before. So I, I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if it's a form thing. I mean, it's been going on for quite a while. So um, it's just one of those things, I guess. But yeah, he absolutely should have buried that. So about a few minutes later, Bada has a chance following a good pass from Matt O'Reilly. So it does look as if we're starting to ease ourselves into the match. You're kind of getting to the stage where you're thinking, is, is goal going to come in time before the final whistle? Uh, but so it, how is there a different tension now getting into the, the closing stages of a game under an Ange Postecoglou team than there would be in previous years? Is it, is it, does it feel different? Do you, do you still have the same kind of anxiety about the way that the game's going to finish? Or the way that we're scoring goals late on consistently at the moment, does that give you any kind of sense of relief going into the last minutes of a match? It doesn't give me relief, but I, it's, it's, a, it's good that um, it's, a good, it's good to constantly be uh, pleasantly surprised, I suppose. I thought it was done. I thought we could play forever and not score. It just looked like it was one of those days. And so I kind of slipped into the mode of trying to 
take the positives from it that you know maybe we needed uh, a bit of a kick up the arse and and that might kind of spur the team on in the way that it did after St Mirren um, and how in general we have kind of responded to to negative results. But yeah, they always do just seem to find a way, and it was a good one for fans of justice today. I, th- I felt like a, a very justice-heavy uh, result because football be, yeah, football won because it'd be criminal to have like eighty, eighty-five percent possession and like over thirty shots and and not win the game. So it must, in terms of like the mentality, I don't think a football fan, especially we talk a lot about how we're all shite bags. That's Celtic's habit of scoring late is not going to affect those nerves but I think it probably does affect opposition players where they move into that phase of the game instead of feeling like we've got this over the line they maybe feel like that's when there's most an air of inevitability that that it's, it's going to kind of ebb away from them and that's literally what happens so it's a, it's a good habit to have yeah, and um, we're, as you're saying, we're peppering the goal as well. So the fact that we have those 33 shots building up, small chances they are, each of them, but I mean, at least it's something where you're having to keep the other team focused. And I don't know, I think it is good having that kind of mentality for the players and for the opposition because they will, they may get to the stage where they're making they're making other decisions than the ones that they would have made twenty minutes earlier because of the feel this is this is Celtic time, this is Ange time, this is where we come in and score our goals. So Eddie, we are cutting back and there's no one there consistently. We do get the, the good Kyogo effort from the, the, the volley, but it's just he can't position his body well enough. And this leads up to us making the triple sub. So I wasn't really happy with the triple sub because I felt felt as if at that stage we were we were getting into position, we were we were creating situations, we just weren't finishing it. I would have maybe liked to have seen Gigi on and maybe just have him and Kyo go up front. But I felt as if bringing off Hitati, bringing off Jota was just felt as if it was like a triple downgrade of the team. But For Forrest offered something when he came on, didn't he? He, he was a real bright spark, and I think I think that run, that marauding run he made in, in injury time, I celebrated that like a goal where he won the corner. It was it just seemed right up for that match today. Yeah, it's funny. I, I I feel like I don't I don't know if I was completely into the triple sub. I definitely wanted GG on. Uh, I didn't think there was any kind of sense in playing the way we were playing and and keeping Kyogo on at that point. Um, obviously. Uh, Turnbull offers something that maybe was a little bit, maybe not what we needed. Uh, but yeah, no, Forrest, I feel like has kind of come into that sub role a little bit, which I know has been spoken about in the past. I know Alan says it, said it a while ago, just kind of, he's maybe not necessarily a good, you know, player to come on. Uh, he's maybe that player that kind of starts the game and influences the game that way. But I feel like he definitely has more of an influence coming on now. Um than he has in the past. So, you know, that could be really, really valuable, especially with, you know, kind of the back and forth on the right wing. We don't necessarily have a, you know, definitive starter. Um, So to have him come on and, you know, be able to perform on either wing and influence the game that way is, is great. So um, hopefully we see a lot more of that in the second half, depending on obviously, you know, what we do in January, but obviously it's great to, um, 
see him, you know, embracing that role and doing a little bit more than say, you know, even though I'd, I'd say Jota was doing a little bit more um, in the second half. Uh, but yeah, uh, overall, I think it was, it was great to see Jamesy kind of putting in that extra effort. So. So Stuart, we, we always have to take these games in context. And the context is that Aberdeen away after a break is a very tough a very tough place to go. Like I think we would have been accepting of a draw. I for me there's always acceptable places and situations to drop points. And to me today that was one of them that would have been acceptable to to kinda of go away with, with a draw and just kinda of, Go again, but hard, was, hard, I, hard disagree on that. I'm sorry. Um, for me, for me, Aberdeen away, Hearts away, they are places where dropping points is not acceptable. And I want it to happen, but you can uh, understand. It's understandable. I get, I get what you mean. I think on paper, it's one of the better teams in the league, and it's a tricky place to go, especially the lunchtime kickoff, especially when you've had the break, especially when um, the conditions are what they are, etc. But you can't dominate a game like that and then come away from it and go and fair days. Like that that game was there to be won all day, every day, and, and we're lucky that we'll are we lucky? We deserve to win. It was for justice. That's, <laughs> I was trying to remember what my stance was on that. <laughs> um yeah, I just think that it would have felt like a loss if Celtic hadn't won. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was our game. We just needed to wrap it up. It's like yeah. the ha- happy Gilmore, you just gotta Tap it in. Tap tappy. I think the, the the biggest annoyance would have been the Mick Beale stuff coming out afterwards. The Mick Beale effect. That would have been the most intolerable stuff after that if we drawn a drop points today. We'll still hear it, I'm sure. Oh fuck. <laughs> we, but the eighty six minute comes around and um Calmac steps up. Still talk me through the goal. Well, we haven't really talked about him at all, but he was absolutely incredible mm-hmm. all game, I thought. Um, they kept referencing his passing stats and how it was like the most passes a human being has ever made in a game of football. And, and uh, I just thought he was brilliant. I thought it was a a proper captain's performance. You know, like he properly like uh, kept things going, kept things moving, was really determined, really persistent. And it shows what a mess he's been, even though we've coped well without him. It shows what a quality player he is. And I can't remember, it, it's, it's kind of comes off the same where we're just kind of passing and recycling possession. And then Forrest plays this little back heel that gives him the space. And it's just finally a moment of like real quality, shot from distance with such power and such accuracy. And it's just, that's the one thing that we'd been missing the whole game pretty much. I kind of thought that if the goal was going to come from somewhere, it would be something like that or the keeper would save it and it would fall at someone's feet, that kind of thing. Um, and of all the players, he was by far the most deserving to have that moment. It must have felt incredible for him having had to sit and watch his, uh kind of go through all the games that he's missed, missing a chunk of the Champions League, missing lots of important league games. And that's why he's the greatest, just doing stuff like that. Uh, and as I say, it was it was a, a goal for football, justice, justice all round for everyone. I just love the way it glided into the, the side netting. Yeah. It's perfectly a uh, position shot. It, the, I loved also the, 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 the passing stats that you were mentioning about how he, he'd made the most passes ever. And just as they were talking about it, he made like a two-yard pass. So someone got the ball back and then made another two-yard pass. And I was like, ah, that's maybe why. <laughs> Eddie, did you enjoy having Callum McGregor back? I mean, I think, you know, we're not, we're not at the takeaways yet, uh, portion. 
of the pod, but that is my takeaway is uh, just seeing him in the lineup in general was amazing to see. Uh, Obviously, you know, Moy and O'Reilly have done a fine job, uh, but I think you ultimately want your best, best three in there. And I think Stu is correct. I think all game, he just looked like he looked hungry. He looked like he was never away. Um, And that shot, I feel like that's almost like a signature goal for him. He always puts it like on the ground, super, super fast into the corner. And I mean, that's, yeah, it's just a moment of quality when you need it. And the man is just, he's beautiful. I love him. Do do you know what, Eddie, you've made such a good point there that we're kind of trying to perhaps offer certain players caveats that, you know, they haven't played competitively for five weeks. And maybe that explains why they're not quite as sharp or why they're not playing at quite the same intensity as they did before the break. Cal McGregor hasn't played in the better part of, what, two months, maybe? I, I don't know exactly when it was he got injured. And he looked like he'd never missed a minute of football. He played as good as we've ever seen him. And that's just so incredibly impressive for a player to come in and not not skip a beat. It was a bit... class, is, class is permanent, I believe. Absolutely. And he was losing it. There was, there was a video doing the rounds last night on Twitter where um, it was about Henderson basically doing the captain's role at Liverpool in England and like constantly talking to the players, congratulating them, like, you know, know, pushing them on during a match. And uh, one of the things the commentators mentioned today was after we scored that McGregor was going around every single player, like basically telling them to concentrate, to focus and stuff like that. It's just, it's good having that back, man. I know these little intangibles, you can just add so much to the game. You saw them, he he was absolutely screaming at them to push up as well when it kind of came to, I think they were making some last subs or something. It was maybe when Moy was coming on and he was absolutely screaming at them to push up so that you're not sitting in and, Aberdeen are finally having to go for it and you put yourself under pressure. And also, I think maybe I'm maybe I'm alone in, in this fear that in games where Celtic dominate so much and don't look like they're going to score, you're always at the beck and call of a shite VAR decision or a, the one chance that Aberdeen have they score and suddenly it's a disaster. So that fear was, was there and I thought that having them switched onto that, you know, your work's not done, you've got another five, ten minutes to play here. And, you know, you want to kind of continue to push on and continue to control the game. And I thought he did really well with that. From what you said there, that's a reminder that that was the first VAR game that we haven't actually had VAR uh, for Celtic. So I forgot all about it for 90 minutes. It was peaceful. (laughs) Yeah. So as you said, Moy came on for Matt O'Reilly in the 89th minute and uh, he's a perfect guy, Eddie, to come on and just like see out a game, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's he's just that guy uh, that kind of floats around. Uh, you know, he had I think he had a good World Cup uh, from what I've seen. Uh, but yeah, he's he's exactly what you need, and I guess in that situation. Um, and I do think, you know, just to back up what's what Stu was saying as far as uh, the fear goes, <laughs> I, I just I don't know that that'll never leave me. I think, and I think there's always like you said, Graham. Like there's a var decision where a var decision, uh, a shit like 90th minute own goal, like any of those away. Uh, it's like choose your adventure. There's like <laughs> four four or five things that could happen uh, that you know that are common for us in games like that. But luckily, the uh, the best the best adventure one. Uh, but yeah. Moy was Moy was fine. It's a great pool quote, Eddie. <laughs> 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 we, we are all, all broken. 
Football one, the like best it. adventure one. <laughs> I like it. We're all broken as human beings that we can't even enjoy joy until the final whistle. <laughs> so the final whistle does go. It gives us some interesting stats. Uh, 200 goals in 84 matches for Celtic under Ange, which gives us 2.38 goals per game. I was going to say there was there was only one goal today, Graham. I, was like, I don't think <laughs> we two hundred. We've been shouted. Only one that counts. Stats uh, are not facts confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another interesting thing that came up was it, uh, out of the two hundred, a hundred of them have been at home and a hundred of them have been away. So perfect. I enjoyed that stat because it basically says that we just score goals everywhere. Indiscriminate. We, we never stop. Right <laughs> so, so yeah. Exactly. So that was it. That was us wrapped up another three points. We remain nine points clear in the league. Uh, we could be going 12 points clear at the beginning of January. How good would that be? Double figures. Something to think about at a later date, I imagine. Uh, Eddie, we'll come to you first. Who, who was your man in the match and what are your takeaways from today's game? Uh, man in the match is easy. It's got to be, got to be Cal Mac. Uh, great to see him back. Obviously, Stu was mentioning the intangibles as far as, you know, him kind of organizing the team, keeping them focused. Uh, I think it's just invaluable on top of, you know, what he brings as a player. So um, he's definitely a man of match for me. Um, I think, I mean, takeaways is just, we fucking won. <laughs> like, uh, you know, pulled me from the depths of uh, fear and anxiety. Um, and now it's just a glorious three points and uh like you said we're, we could be 12 points ahead in january so there's lots of positives to look forward to um and on to the next one would we be 11 points clear by tuesday Stu? well spoiler alert on what my two point takeaway is i think <laughs> well first and foremost cal mcgregor was by a long distance the man of the match and very excited to have him back and delighted for him to have that individual moment uh, my three-point takeaways would be that I think we need to sign a better striker in general. If everyone's talking about this team kicking on and, and levelling up, not only domestically but at a European level, the reality is that Kyogo brings a lot to that team, absolutely does. Fantastic player, fun little guy, but you need to have other options or someone that can do can be super clinical and, and do... The, the business of scoring goals and I, I'm not suggesting that you sell Kyogo or that you just completely that's him done, like far from it, I just think that you need to have another option and I don't think that Gigi's necessarily that and also you don't know that he's going to make it through January let alone uh, the rest of his contract so I think that should be a priority that's now I think a priority position Um. So yeah, there's that. My other point is that if Aberdeen play like that on Tuesday where, where they're as sort of ruthless and diligent, then I think they'll take points off Rangers because something that that Rangers team has shown irrespective of a, a new manager coming in is that they just, they're just they not big on ideas when it comes to breaking down that kind of team. So watch that, watch that space and see. But it's a huge, huge result and they'll have been absolutely sickened to think that we're finally dropping points and we just keep scoring late goals, so fuck them, fuck all of them. I would just say five nil Rangers to uh, balance out the karma. Oh, Graham! If if we say if we all say Aberdeen are going to do something, Rangers will score two in the first five minutes. Or something like that. This is Has, true. 
Has a solar eclipse happened in Glasgow where we've been doing a podcast? <laughs> I'm, just got quite a, I'm just in quite a dark part of my room. Again, it's the sun's going to go down in about 20 minutes, so this is what it is. This is life. So I've been your host, Graham McKay. It's been a pleasure, Stu Duggan. I don't know quite what to say after that, Graham, but thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, it's been a pleasure uh, talking about the game. And Eddie, what are you going to do with the rest of your day? Scroll Twitter for a bit, see the uh, the angry folk on the other side, and uh, I don't know, take a stroll. It's nice and sunny out for once. So nice, nice. And still, what about yourself? Any plans? Uh, not much. I'm going to go outside and get some some of that quote unquote sunshine that, that Eddie's talking about well, before it goes in the next twenty minutes. So that's the the immediate plans. Nice. Well, we have been the 90 Minute Cynic. We don't call ourselves that anymore. We call ourselves the Cynic. This has been Aberdeen 0 Celtic 1, and we'll catch you down the road. <laughs>